All right, everybody. Hello and welcome to the Show 6 podcast, a brand new podcast breaking down the Play Pokemon Championship Series for Pokemon Go. Your two hosts for the show will be myself, Speedy's Chief 2, and the Z Zwilas. Zwilas, welcome in, my friend. It's so good to launch this project with you. I'm really excited for the future. And uh, yeah, introduce yourself to the people, tell them who you are, and uh, let's get started. Hello, hello, Speedy. Um, hi, dear listeners. Uh, my name is Zwilas. I am just as excited to get this project off the ground um, to talk about the Play Pokemon Championship series um because i am not only um like a regular go battle league player but also a competitor and just a big fan of um what play pokemon has done um with um go pvp mm-hmm. and yeah i've competed in europe i've actually won the um barcelona special event this season and i've also competed overseas in hartford and toronto and yeah speeding i thought this would be a nice combination of American and European expertise to maybe dig a little deeper into um, what our co-competitors have to offer. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. I feel like uh, there's an opportunity to look at kind of the brackets, the the team analysis, kind of break things down a little bit in more detail, right? And make it, make the game overall more accessible to new players who wanted to join. Uh, Zwilis, so I always hated in school when you had to introduce yourself. So because you did it, <laughs> I'll have... I'll do it on my side as well. Uh, I'm Speedy's Chief too. I commentate for Play Pokemon. I've done a couple of world championships, the first being in London and then the second in Yokohama. Uh, Best job ever. I love commentating. I love Pokemon Go. And this has been my goal for, for just about... Oh my gosh, it's been what six, seven years since PvP came out. I always felt like it could be an esport and I felt like we had the potential. We're finally here, but now we have to keep building on it, keep growing the game and kind of increasing the momentum that we already have. I think the signups are headed in the right direction in terms of tournaments. I think the viewership is headed in the right direction, but I think we can definitely do more. So making the game more accessible overall has always been my goal. And I think, like you said, this is a great opportunity to do that. Well, Swilus, we had a very, very (laughs) exciting regional championship just over the past weekend. It was the Portland Regionals. Now, this is a very, very fun one to watch. 92 competitors signed up. We had the world champ. It's Axon was there. We had Rubik's Master. We had uh, Caleb Pang. We had so many incredibly talented trainers and a lot of trainers that really surprised us. So I kind of want to open the floor to you because we're going to spend the majority of our episodes discussing the regionals, talking about what stood out to us. If you had to sum up Portland or, or just point out one thing that really jumped out to you, how would you like to kick this conversation off? I would say that Portland was, uh, in my eyes, the regional where the meta really solidified itself. Um, While we had like Stuttgart to kick this uh, particular season, this particular meta change off, um, most people were still like just going off PvP rankings, uh, maybe having done like one or two practice tournaments, but nobody really knew what this meta was about. And now I feel like a pattern emerges and we we kind of see where things are headed and yeah mm. i so so i agree to to a degree <laughs> but i don't <laughs> i don't completely agree if that makes sense so i feel like um we're seeing kind of a tilt towards more flexible play. This is kind of where we were uh, in the previous season where we had a lot of superior Gligar, uh, Venicham. We had a lot of this similar Pokemon kind of facing off. I think we're 
kind of tilting towards that direction. A lot of trainers opting for more neutral picks. We don't see a, like, for example, in the grand finals, it wasn't quite like the Stuttgart grand finals where it, it was kind of like the um, kind of a triangle of, of interactions. You had your Claude Sire, you had your uh, charger bugs, you had your poly rats. It didn't feel exactly like that in my mind. It felt a lot more neutral. You had some Gligar, some Whiskash, <laughs> Zumerol. Uh, but I felt like there was a lot of, a lot of opportunity for trainers to kind of, I guess, express their skill in different ways. The infamously neutral bastardon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll get to that for sure. But uh, I feel like, um, yeah, fair point. But, but to the most point, or for the most part, excuse me, I feel like a lot of the tournament was, uh, you know, does the Whiskash get the Skull debuff? Do we see a farm down here on the Polyrath? Is it, it's, it kind of felt more momentum based, more energy based. And yeah, maybe with the exception of the Bastidon, a little more, <laughs> uh, a little less alignment based. Uh, a big rise in Azumarill. We saw Whiskash on seven of the top 12 teams. We saw a lot of defense from Deoxys. We actually saw for Vigoroth in the top 12, which is also a bit surprising. Um, any meta picks that stood out to you that kind of shocked you or you thought were out of place? I think the Vigoroth pick is especially interesting because as far as I know, or as far as I remember, it was not at all present on the top 12 graphics on day one. Mm-hmm. So not many people actually opted to bring that. I, I think I remember like Polyrath being the premier counter user with about 33-ish percent uh, usage in day one. Mm-hmm. And then like Medicham hanging on for dear life, like um, at the very bottom of the top 12. Um, but Vigoroth kind of, it, it wasn't it wasn't mainstream yet, I would say. Um, but it definitely overperformed its, its usage. It definitely, um, like it won the tournament and had some amazing results. Mm-hmm. And I think... That is because of one other Pokemon that um, already started to stand out more ever since um, ever since the Charger Bug Polyrath core emerged, mm-hmm. which is the Gligar. Um, if oh. you remember in Stuttgart, Gligar was nowhere to be seen. Basically, like the entire top twelve best or most used, most commonly used Pokemon, like they came without. Gliga, even though Gliga was one of the staples of the previous season, but mm-hmm. everybody just thought, okay, there's there's new flyers in town, there's Talonflame. Talonflame, remember that one? <laughs> right. um, there's Skarmory, which actually did pick up in usage. And yeah, like when people picked out their flyer, they just didn't think of Gliga. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's Axon, our world champion, actually stated that. Um, he disliked his Shadow Polyrath that he brought the most on his team. Mm-hmm. And I think that was in part because it just fainted to an Aerial Ace plus Wing Attacks from a Shadow Gligar, and Shadow Gligar was everywhere. So Vigoroth, resi- uh, not resisting, but taking neutral from Wing Attacks and Aerial Ace um, just has a way better Zero Shields matchup there. And I think with Gligar basically being omnipresent, um, that was the key to victory to just have this more neutral matchup. As you said, um, we are trending towards neutrality. We are typically trending towards neutrality the further a season progresses, mm-hmm. because that's just like um, that's just like how people try to 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 win games, right? By by outplaying, not just by getting lucky. These mm-hmm. tournaments last too long to just go on a lucky run and RPS your way to victory. 
Yeah, so, just ask just ask Onion Frank, right? That's what he that's what he said because of the seeding. He's actually started to to use some skill expression, right? He's a frequent Go Battle League leaderboarder, and he used to just bring Shadow Victory Bell and Bastidon to tournaments. Yeah, yeah. If you look at Onion's team for this tournament, like that's a ton of neutral play. He also um adopted that Vigoroth. He had the Shadow Dragonair, which is like infamously neutral in in mm-hmm. plenty of matchups. Like many people, with one notable exception, are going the route of okay, I'll just try to pick Pokemon that are safe, pick Pokemon that are flexible. Um, even a Gligar, which is a ground type, doesn't necessarily get knocked out by a Scald from a Whiskash. So there's just there's just plenty of counterplay, and yeah, I think that made for some great battles for sure. Agreed. So I was actually looking at the teams here, and something popped up into my into my mind uh we actually recorded a lost episode as we're calling it we're never going to release it or not at least not for a long time <laughs> but we have a lost episode where we broke down the san antonio tournament and Doombug 97's 14 and one run through the tournament something nobody has ever done i was looking here at the whiskash the azumarill the lickitung the uh polyrath uh, the gligar all these pokemon here have decent or positive matchups against Skeletors. And I almost feel like um, we kind of have two things going for us, right? We have the previous meta that a lot of trainers like to analyze. They like to kind of adjust and anticipate what's going to show up. And then also, like you said, the general move towards neutrality as as the season develops. And I feel like both of those things kind of collided here. And we saw so many water type Pokemon, so many ground type Pokemon, a lot of double ground actually in in that grand finals as well being Whiskash and Gligar. And I feel like that is kind of, a, you know, like a, a cocktail, right? Those are your two ingredients. You mix them together and this is what you get in terms of Portland. Um, but I was wondering though, do you think that this trend will continue? Do you think we're going to see a pivot towards more grass? Because there's also a lot of Skarmory in the meta and Gligar <laughs> takes care of grass pretty well as well. Um, yeah, I have to say that I um kind of curious as to how different the meta will look from um, the next regional, which is in, in Charlotte, mm-hmm. and the regional after, which uh, will be held back in Europe, uh, in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Um, because I remember the last time in Liverpool, um, Shadow Charizard emerged as a meta threat for the very first time, mm-hmm. um, taking the entire tournament. And I would not be surprised if there were some sleeper picks out there that are yet to be discovered. But um, I do think that you, you see it with the Skeledrudge. Like, it won in San Antonio, and in the top 16, we only had uh, Leo Geo, who actually top cut with it, and Zimikid, who fell just short, um, trying it out on their own team. So it's not like, oh, this is the new meta trend that everybody follows. Um, most people are just um, playing it safe. There's a lot of... Um, just cores that look very similar from team to team. Um, like um, on, on Avinov's team, you find um, the Likitang, the Shadow Gliger, the Azumarill, and uh, the Charger Bug. And you find the same four on Caleb Pang's team. So the yes. Grand Finals look actually like pretty, the, the teams look pretty similar to each other. Mm-hmm. And like there's, there's not really, there's not really the, the breakout pick, but I feel like we are, we should kind of be um, at a stage where like this this particular meta is so settled that you can just 
basically go on PvPoke and see what plays best into this team because it feels so streamlined, it, it feels so standardized. And mm -hmm. Pokemon that might be worse neutrally, but that are good core breakers into like a Gliga Whiskash core might see some play at future tournaments. I agree. I feel like there are some sleeper picks and one trainer that I've, I've learned to keep an eye on is actually Rubik's Master. So Rubik's Master, I, I requested a lot of trainers to submit uh, their teams of six for the upcoming meta. I believe this is the last season uh, rotation and Rubik's Master was the only trainer that sent in Superior. Meanwhile, that. everyone else was sending that. in Venusaur and I was like, Huh, superior, right? There might be some some merit to this in the uh, Adventures of Bound season. And lo and behold, superior became by far the top meta choice in terms of grass types. It was everywhere. It was on a lot of winning teams. And it was just, I guess, sprinkled throughout the tournament, no matter where you go, EU, NA, LATAM, anywhere in the world, you would see superior battling. And I, I'm looking at these teams here in Top Cut, and I do think that Trevenant has a ton of play. You've got Whiskash, Polyrath, Chargebug. You've got a, so many different targets. Azumarill as well for that Pokemon. And Rubix Master actually bringing the Trevenant, Cresselia, Registeel, Mandibuzz, Shadow, Lolan, Sandslash, and Azumarill team to Portland. Do you have any thoughts on that team or any Pokemon that stood out besides the Trevenant? <laughs> yeah, I do think I do think that Rubix Master is one of the more unique um team builders that we have in the play Pokemon circuit. And while, while there are some choices that we've seen uh, win tournaments elsewhere, like the Registeel, like the Cresselia, um, the two Pokemon besides the Trevenant that stand out here are Alolan Sandslash, which uh, kind of fell off. But what I like about Alolan Sandslash is that it does something that very few Pokemon in the current meta do. Um, and that is just putting real bench pressure on um, the Gligar. Because mm -hmm. Gligar is such a staple. It's True. so safe in so many teams. Um, that like there's no, there's no real cost to bringing Gligar. And if you keep a proper ice type, something that just one-shots a Gligar on your team... Um, that's that's really valuable, but it's also high risk, high reward. And I do think, uh, if I remember correctly, Rubik's Master opted for the Shadow Claw Gliger, which did make a ton of sense for his team comp specifically, mm -hmm. because he did have the Registeel and the Mandibuzz to scare away um, opposing Lickitung. Mm -hmm. So, like the main thing about Powder Powder Snow um, A Slash is that it breaks the Gliger Lickitung core. Um, this A slash didn't really need to beat Lickitung because it had other teammates that did it for it. Mm -hmm. um, so it made it made sense in that specific instance, but it's also better into into Azu, by the way. But I do think that you have to build your team specifically around this type of Pokemon. Like you need those extra Lickitung answers. So it kind of limits you in how flexible you can actually build around Alolan Sandslash. So the Pokemon that I can actually, um, and I would envision goes further in future tournaments, is one that not only Rubik's Master brought, but that also um, placed third on, on Kobe's team. Mm -hmm. um, it's the Mandibus, because Mandibus, um, it doesn't look amazing as um, a flying type that doesn't reliably beat um, 
Polyrath or just fighters in general. But it is also a flying type that completely shuts down um, Cresselia if Cresselia opts to run Grassnod and Future Side. Yes. Um, it's a Pokemon that takes less than 30% from a Whiskash's Scald. And it's also a great answer to Lickitung, making the Lickitung safe swap, which is popular as ever, um, way more costly. So mm -hmm. I feel like bench pressure is something that is like an undervalued concept in show six team building. And I think Rubik's Master executed really well on that. Um, just making making common safe swaps like Gliga and Lickitung really costly into his team. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think I think Mandibuzz kind of helicopters in and out of the meta. If you remember back to the very first EUIC when Ares won the tournament with Air Slash Mandibuzz, everybody was kind of surprised. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, we've seen other trainers like Dunebug trying to make it work earlier on in the season, but it just wasn't the right moment for it. So I think a lot of the championship series comes down to timing. Picking the right Pokemon at the right time is also very, very critical, uh, especially when you have a meta that's constantly shifting, evolving, and changing. In addition to Rubik's Master, like we mentioned, It's Axon made an appearance there in Portland this past weekend. Famously, It's Axon and Rubik's Master faced off in the, in the Portland Grand Finals last season and then met again in the World Championships with our top three NA players. Isn't that, isn't that right, Swilus? Um <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> we were joking about that off the record <laughs> earlier. I said as long as as long as you know German dancing Rob was able to win it in year one, then Silas would let the, the triple NA at the top three in Yokohama slide. But we had uh, some incredible trainers attending, uh, namely Onion Frank. We had Remberto. Uh, Bopper was there. I always love to watch Bopper play because he did play the Guzzlord in a previous regional. That was so much fun to watch. Uh, Shadow Mimikyu also making a name for themselves, uh, giving Axon just every like pushing him to the limit you know giving everything he can handle and then some kind of newer players like kobe uh kobe coupland who I had not heard of before actually finished in third place uh flying pizza the trainer who knocked harjeff out of, out in san antonio actually making top cut as well with shadow somber it was really fun but our champion for this one was abinov seven nine nine eight i remember abinov uh, said during the interview he says i know that i'm good at the game i know that i've been good for a long time and i feel like this is my chance to finally prove it and uh honestly so I, this when i when i heard that quote it reminded me a lot of uh your journey as well because you know you said i like to play spicier picks i, I think i know the game really well i can win with really fun teams and um we talked you know one-on-one -on -one privately <clears throat> that sometimes you felt like maybe you weren't meta enough to win tournaments or maybe you felt like uh you know, you, you couldn't break through that next level until you did and you won a regional championship. So what did you think about Abinov's run in particular? I'm not sure how much uh, of the tournament you had you had time to watch, but I'm curious what you thought about his run, his play style, because uh, I think the grand finals reset was the most impressive uh, adjustment that I've ever seen in the grand finals, especially in a reset situation. But I'd like to hear what you think first. Yeah, um, I have I have plenty of thoughts on this. Because um, to me, Abinov taking this was not surprising at all. But I completely empathize with this feeling of needing to prove yourself. Mm -hmm. Because there's so many good players and only like, like 
eight to ten regionals per region per season. So mm -hmm. not not everybody gets to gets to claim one of those big titles. And um, I was actually like searching um, through the like Discord of my my PvP team Sharks and Recreation because uh, I was I was looking for previous mentions of Abinav because like I know that I played him in um, the first season of Battle Frontier, but I think I played mm -hmm. him earlier as well. And then I then I managed to dig up um, a practice tournament um, from before last year's EU IC. And I remember like talking to my friends about how I felt really comfortable with my team and was really confident going into the tournament and that I only dropped one round against the eventual tournament winner Abinav. So oh, even like a year ago, the guy uh, swept stacked practice tournaments. Um, yeah. I think he was also um, like a little bit about... Um, representing the the indian pvp scene which is yes. definitely underrepresented like i know he's been with the chicago stars and he's been in the u.s for a while but he's still like one of these one of the representatives for just um a, a scene of really strong battlers that um has has had so many like gbl number one players mm -hmm so many sylph grades but just doesn't get regionals in their own country so yeah like like taking the crown here uh, i'm i was just really happy for him because like i knew the guy was really good and i felt like his story was just a good one to tell and also like Caleb placing second three times in a row i feel like the the further he does that the the more fun the meme gets um so yeah i was i was i was quite happy with the outcome of this tournament yeah 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 no it was it was really fun to watch and, and i agree and i think a lot of trainers feel that way uh in terms of their own gameplay right maybe they have a lot of uh self experience a lot of show six experience and they feel like maybe they get into a tournament situation and they just get that one matchup they really don't want or they run into you know a top tier trainer within the second or third round of their of their regional run and I've had that question personally, right? Because you see a lot of the same names kind of dominating a lot of tournaments. You, you expect Wadaj to make top cut. You know Axon's always going to top cut. You know over in EU, Inadequance is going to top cut most of the time. You're going to see a lot of really good trainers perform really well consistently. And I've always wondered from, from the outside looking in, if you're a new trainer, a middle tier trainer, or an above average player, if you look at those tournaments and you say, oh, well, I don't really have a chance to win because because uh, Har Jeff will be there, or I don't have a chance to win you because Zoidus is playing. I, I think that that kind of mindset is something that we should try to move away from. And I think seeing people like Abinov succeed is a good step in that direction. Abinov, definitely a very impressive trainer. And yes, trying to put the Indian PvP scene on the map, much like Vroom Vroom Pow, you know, a previous Sylph uh, world champion. And, and I think that... Um, you know, this is a non-official podcast, so we can say this. I think that after fast move sneaks and denials were fixed, oh. a lot, a lot of oh, no, I'm being, I'm being honest. A lot of trainers in different parts of the world, whether it be LATAM, APAC, EU, etc. I think a lot of trainers in in different parts of the world 
we're able to show more of what they're capable of. And I think that Vroom Vroom is in that category. A lot of trainers that that live outside of the U.S. are in that category. So very, very nice to see talent from around the world crop up. And yeah, I agree. It was a really nice story to watch. Abhinav and Caleb Ping in the grand finals. Caleb Ping, always a bridesmaid, never a bride, as he likes to say, but definitely an, an impressive performance uh, nonetheless. Uh, I was looking here at the runs by each of these trainers and how they got uh, to their top three placing. And I got to say, I mean, Caleb Ping first lost to Rubik's Master in round three, took down Cedric Beach and Rubik's Master in a revenge match in round six, and then in day two took down Onion Frank, Leo Gio, Roberto, Kobe, and took down Avinov the first time before eventually being defeated by him in the final round. So I definitely respect the run here by Caleb. I mean, that's an impressive grind to get through those trainers and, and and knowing Caleb a little bit more personally, right? We worked together in the past and we've done a lot of regionals together. I could tell the look on his face. He's like, man, I better not lose to onion Frank, dude. If, if I lose to this guy, I'm going to be so pissed at myself. That's just, that's just, you know what he was thinking. I, I I'm just, I'm just saying this is just, you know, uh, conjecture, but I, I do think that's what he was feeling. Uh, but yeah, very impressive run by all three of the, the top three trainers. Would you agree? Yeah, like if you if you're top three, like per definition, your run is hella impressive. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think I don't know, like I've I've competed in in some tournaments now, and sometimes I don't necessarily think that just um from a game to game perspective, like of course, like overall, you're more more likely to succeed if you just stay in that winner's bracket, but if you've got a real good um, loser's bracket run going then you just build the confidence you build more familiarity with your team you build some momentum and that was at display with Dunberg and San Antonio and I do think that was also at display with Caleb here and yeah. I don't know whether that can be said about all of his opponents because to me just watching, just watching the battles it sometimes felt like okay like Caleb had a real talent to just unnerve his opponents. Mm -hmm. Like Agreed. as soon as they got like um a Pokemon misaligned in the Bastodon matchup, like by the next game they typically just like were making those little mistakes and Caleb wasn't making those mistakes. And that's how you prevail in a in a knockout match. Like yes. you, you just you just have to you just have to like get those get those tiny margins right, and like I think it's all the more impressive that Abinav actually managed to um clean sweep three and zero after the bracket got reset because yeah that's like a difficult mental situation and the momentum was definitely on Caleb's side there. No, I agree. And speaking to the grand finals, that was actually the first time that uh, a grand finals has gone to a reset. And then one of the trainers had a three Oh sweep. That's the first time all season no. it's gone to at least four or five games in all the previous resets being in Barcelona. Maybe you know something about that <laughs> uh, in Lille, Gdansk, Stuttgart and San Antonio. Those all went to either four or five games. So I think that the adjustments there were key from Abinov. And if we want to tell the story of the grand finals, it was a lot of fun to watch, a lot of twists and turns in those matchups. But I think that after the reset, Abhinav just, he hit a different 
level. He hit like a different gear and he was able to really kind of dial in on what Caleb was trying to do. And he was able to kind of pin the Bastiod on, which was the big thing to me <laughs> because in the, uh, in the previous games, right in the first iteration of the grand finals, Abinov won game number one, where Caleb led Bastiod on in the charge bug. He's able to reverse with a, with a really awesome combo play. Yeah. That was really fun to watch. The, the Shadow Gligar dig into the Bastiodon was the game winner, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. That was fun. Uh, and then games two, three, and four, Caleb just swept, right? He brought Bastiodons in game in game three and four of the series, was able to win both of those, as well as uh, win game two with a Zoomerl, Shadow Gligar, and Charge Bug. But in the Grand Finals reset, Abhinav just, he just had enough of it, man. He was, he was, <laughs> he was going to bring... Uh, basically these are the three teams and, and I'll let you um, insert whatever kind of thoughts you have, but these are the three mm-hmm. teams that Abhinav brought in the reset. He brought Azumarill, Vigoroth, Whiskash game one, right? So three, I guess either soft or hard answers for Vasidon in yep. game two, Shadow, Gligar, Lickitung, Whiskash. And then he repeated that lineup with Whiskash lead in game three. So he was definitely ready for the Vasidon. And I think that Caleb tripling down, right? Bringing Vasidon <laughs> in the lead all three games. He said, surely Abhinav won't, won't have a counter in game two. And there's no way he'll have it in game three, but he did. And I think that the triple down was a gamble. And at that point, you know, Caleb had made it really far, but it just wasn't enough. Like, you can say a lot about Caleb, but the guy definitely knows the hill he wants to die on. <laughs> like, yes. it's it's basti or bust, and it always has been. But, yeah, I, I particularly liked um, when Abhinav led the Azu into the Bastiodon. Yeah. And you would think that, like, of course, the Azu didn't have Hydro Pump. It couldn't hit for charge move damage. But Bubble is buff. This is a neutral, maybe a positive fleet, depending on shielding scenarios. But no immediate swap out into the Whiskash because yeah. mm-hmm. this, is, this is a smart play because if there's a Bastard on the front, there will be an answer to either Vigoroth or with, with Whiskash or both in the back. Like, the Azu is probably your worst matchup there. So even though you won lead, uh, you still had to swap there. And yeah, like, he basically he basically tripled down on the anti anti busted on strat in that game, and it paid off for him. It paid off for him. Um, and yeah, yeah I, I do think having been there myself, like sometimes you bring a a Pokemon that other others would consider a meme pick, um, <laughs> and as soon as you shy away from it, people just bring ABA week to it and you you wish you would have brought it. And I think Caleb didn't want to be in that situation. He was like, okay, either I win this with Bastardon, then everything's fine, or I lose it, but at least I, I did stick to my guns. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. In the end it cost him, but he's he's probably going to compete at the next West Coast regional again. Oh, of course. Yeah. And that's just the thing, right? A lot of people I always like to say are, are born competitors, right? I, I put Dunebug in that class. I put uh, Axon in that class. I put Caleb in that class as well. These are people that are going to go in and compete just as many times as it takes in order to, to win, to kind of you know, reach the the heights that they want to hit and to validate their own belief in their skills, right? So I think that's definitely going to continue to occur. But it was a lot of fun to watch the tournament. A lot of interesting players like Kobe, who was able to come up almost with a Cinderella story and and uh, win the whole tournament, but did finish in third place. So Abhinav, Kobe, I love to see these trainers that maybe a lot of people outside of the circuit haven't heard of. Maybe people outside of the Silver Arena have never heard of. 
really fun to see these trainers succeed. But that being said, I do think there's still a lot of improvement in terms of uh, room for improvement, excuse me, in terms of uh, how many trainers we get signing up, how hyped the tournaments are. I would love to see a lot of people sign up for Charlotte. Like you, like you pointed out at the top of the show, we've got Charlotte this month and we've got Liverpool coming up the third and fourth weekend of this month. So that being said, Soilis, Mm -hmm. what did you think about the production and the casting? Because we did have interviews kind of working their way into the segments. And I do have my own thoughts about that. And then we had a shout casting <laughs> debut. And I, I think based on your notes here, you were a fan of one of the new casters. <laughs> yeah, I have to say that I am not big on watching Pokemon Go YouTube anymore. Like I know my brother is a content creator and I did watch a ton of YouTube when I was just starting out with PvP. I do think that's just uh, like a great, a great pipeline into like, Twitch chats or Discord communities, and it's a good starting point. But I didn't really watch much YouTube for like the past two years, and I wasn't really familiar with Home Slice Henry's game. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. yeah, he he definitely knocked it out of the park at his uh, like on his casting debut. Hmm. I was particularly impressed with um, how flawlessly he managed to recite matchup specifics like. Um, which uh, matchups Cresselia picks up if it has future side, or <laughs> I don't know whether this was a setup, but it worked out beautifully when he managed to um, uh, recite the uh, energy cost and damage output uh, of the move Lasta Purge very early yeah. in the stream when uh, Mom and Matt actually brought a Shadow Latios to the table. Um, that was that was an exciting moment, and I also do think um, that he. Uh, managed to be like the hype caster yes in in like the these constellations of two he, he did that really well he definitely brings a certain energy like a certain a certain cadence to the table that not everybody has mm. um and i think that definitely made uh, the tournament more enjoyable and he also <laughs> I, I i really um like that this has uh, made the way from europe to north america he also um did interview a couple of, of folks after after their rounds. Yeah. And yeah, like um I, I would prefer it, like it's not a big deal, but it always felt a bit makeshift when they were like almost standing in the crowd when doing the interviews. Like we have mm-hmm. our a little a little cozy seats, a little sofa over in Europe. But I think it just brings a lot um a lot more personality from the competitors to the screen. And you have those interviews when you give them the little spotlight. And I do remember that um, it was it was Rumberto after one of his uh, day two victories, mm-hmm. um, really really hyped up and celebrated, rightfully so, by by your co-caster uh, Two Obutters mm-hmm. um, for his precise counting and <laughs> oh, energy <man>. management. <laughs> this has become and, a meme. Yeah, 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 and I, I, I saw, I saw Alessio, a mind joke, um, <laughs> make a little super cut of that and put it on Twitter, where he basically just, um, like, took the took the butters commentary and then put in the the interview after, and Umberto just goes goes right to the camera and says, "So I, I just, I just go by vibes, basically." Yeah, I don't care. And, yeah, yeah the one I thing you don't want to hear. Like if if you're at that at that at that level, like you don't you don't need to count. Like you just you just live and breathe PvP. You just 
it's it's just muscle memory at that point. Yeah, and yeah, that was that was just an impressive showcase that not everybody needs to be super particular about every single move they make. Sometimes you just you just feel the game, and that's perfectly fine too. That can be a recipe for success as well. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think we could go we could go into more of like a, a philosophical um, direction on this when we talk about player stories and getting to know the the trainers a lot better. Uh, a lot of people feel like Pokemon Go PvP is so fast that it might not uh, it might not lend itself to as much uh, skill expression in terms of like team compositions. So you might say, yeah, well, if you're watching VGC or if you're watching TCG, maybe you can play your way out of really tough situations. But in Go, if you lock in the wrong team, the game could just could be over from the beginning. And I think it's a bit arguable, right, that um, Go does have that kind of higher stress, higher uh, pressure point on picking the right teams. But I do think it's worth it to get to know these trainers, to get to know the players and where they come from, where they're headed, what their ambitions are. That allows people that are more casual players to follow along with the, with the storylines to, to figure out you know, who they want to support, who they want to cheer for in worlds. And I feel like a lot of what we can do as a production is to build on that and then get people more invested in what's going to happen next. And um, yeah, there've been some great storylines like Rimberto. I've, I actually have an anecdote about him uh, back. I think it was in, Oh my goodness. It, it was like probably 2019, 2020, like four or five years ago. <laughs> oh my gosh, we're getting old. I remember um, playing against Roberto in a team tournament, and he was actually playing Zylus, believe it or not, uh, on his on his on his uh, on his team of six. And I remember he was so good at what I call masking his energy. So he would come in with the Zylus, he'd fire off a bunch of dragon breaths, he'd throw a body slam, over farm a little bit, and then he'd switch. And then he'd bring the Zylus back out. He'd overfarm a little bit more, throw a charge attack, then switch. And by the end of the game, I had no idea if that Zylus <laughs> was at Dark Pulse, if it was at Body Slam, if it was at two Body Slams. I had no idea where that Pokemon was with energy. And he did such a good job of overcharging, kind of reaching uh, you know, the peaks in energy and then the lulls and just managing to keep keep me on my toes. And ever since then, I knew Ramberto was very, very gifted in terms of, you know, of his energy management. And uh, seeing him succeed the way he did in Portland was just incredibly serendipitous, right? Because he is that good of a player. And he did retire from the game for a little while. You know, we always say Pokemon Go players never really retire. Well, he, <laughs> he, stepped, out, he stepped out for a couple of years, right? Two or three years, and then uh, came back to it. I'm so glad that he's competing again because that kind of skill expression definitely needs to be witnessed. But for all of the, for all of those trainers that study their counts really, really religiously, all the dune bugs that know the energy for the fast attacks and the charge attacks and can make any combination in their minds and count anything in the whole world, when Roberto gets up on stage and he says, yeah, I don't really count, it's like the most deflating thing. You're like, come on, man. What am, what am, I, what am I wasting all my time studying for if I can just play like Berto? Um, but to, to your point about the casters and the interviews as well, yeah, Home Slice Henry, I've worked with him on a few grassroots productions, brings so much energy, such a positive vibe. And uh, definitely, like you said, the cadence is very, very good. That comes from hundreds and hundreds of videos on YouTube. Uh, and I thought he really brought the hype. I thought our caster pairings were good too. Sotof is one of the best color commentaries that we have available across the entire play Pokemon circuit. And she Absolutely. was very with butters you know of course butters is the guy for play by play then you had home slice henry and alpha phoebe and phoebe also very strong in color commentary so those combinations worked really well and i think that also shows our growth as a casting team that we're switching to more play by play more color commentary more defined roles and it just strengthens the broadcast overall they complement each other very well 
Now, as well as I will say, you said that the interviews were kind of makeshift. I I have to disagree. I have to disagree because oh, okay. I remember watching, I think it was the Leo stream. I remember watching the stream and seeing how we get battles on camera. Then we tossed a break. Then we'd have interview. Then we tossed a break. Then we have casters, then battles, and then rinse and repeat. And it felt like throwing all those breaks in there, switching to the lounge. Yes, it takes a little bit of time, but it kills the momentum of the stream. It feels slower. It feels like, oh man, now we have to, you know, I'll go get a snack during this break, but I might not come back because I might forget the stream is on. You really want to keep people hooked. And I feel like getting that instant reaction as soon as they come off the stage has its own value because you still have the adrenaline going. You're still pumped up. You're like, oh yeah, it was a crazy matchup and I can't believe this happened. And and people are, are much more, I think, genuine, much more fluid in those situations. Maybe Maybe not as detailed or as personal, but I think that it's much more of like a, you know, instant reaction, kind of that high octane uh, response. Do you agree? Um, I have to say that um, just being at quite a few European regionals as a competitor, like I don't, I don't always exactly, I, I can't always tell the exact difference between oh, how long does it take between American regionals and how long does it take during European regionals? Like I don't. I don't exactly know about the pacing. You might be correct. Um, I'm just I'm just not entirely aware. Um, but I have to say, like one thing that I I could see be interesting with those with those crowd shots and with um just getting the people in front of a mic uh, as soon as they leave the stage is um like what what would what would have happen if you did this at like an international championship or mm-hmm. at a South American regional or like a Mexican regional, like somewhere where there's like infamous, like good vibes from the crowd or high mm-hmm. attendance or like, I do think the Portland regional was great. I do think it was, uh, I think it grew by about 20 competitors compared to last year. And it's definitely on the right track. But if you, if you had like an even bigger stage, like even, even more hype from, from the stands, um, I do think that could be quite interesting too to basically have the the backdrop of like friends cheering on their their mm-hmm. homies their co-competitors agree and yeah like I don't I don't think it's necessarily like worse than um what we do in Europe but I do think just the whole the whole way the stage is designed the whole way the the little studios is made up <laughs> It, it's just cute in Europe. It's just cute. I just like it. Yeah. Yeah. Those it, it, little Pokemon plushies. I just, I just enjoy it. It, it is, uh, it, it's very cozy. It feels like it is. warm and welcoming, right? But, uh, <laughs> and, yeah, and sometimes, agree. sometimes that's what a competitor needs to so just calm down after a heated match, maybe before another heated match and just this little, this little cozier space. Um, mm. but I think, I think either like both has, both has merit for sure. Yeah. I agree. I, I think it's um, it, and I I really appreciate that the EU streams are official, so that we can have this kind of back and forth. We can try yeah. different things, different <laughs> styles, and I don't think, like you said, the same style would work for every region. Because if you looked at uh, Brazil and you remember LAIC and how insane the, the GB Lindos and the crowd was, I think that if you tried to interview Harjeff on the floor in 
in Brazil, you wouldn't hear a word he said because everybody'd be like, oh, oh you know. But I do think it would be a lot of a lot of fun if you did that. True. I, I kind of I kind of do want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> true, true, true. I I think it it would be uh. Yeah, it would be amazing to witness, right? Maybe maybe one interview on the floor, and then we'll have to like pull him over to the side, or yeah. or if it's just Mina's, pull her over to the side <laughs> and have a private conversation where we're you know we can actually talk, you know, and actually uh, get our questions and answered and things like that. But yeah, I agree. I think um, as the production c- continues to evolve, I think there's a lot of room for innovation. I think that it could it could be more and more developed as we move on, and I'm excited to see where we go for the rest of the season. But speaking. Of the rest of the season here as the time of this recording this is tuesday uh january the 9th you have 150 days to get your championship points to qualify for the world championships in honolulu hawaii we have a few uh names i wanted to shout out in terms of the leaderboards the current global leader in championship points is harjeff with 750 championship points i mean that's really stellar you get that from winning an ic and a regional and coming to the u.s <laughs> and getting a few points there as well i assume uh chris reisner coming in second place at 669 points Doombuck at 607 and remember if you win a regional you get the automatic invitation but you can also qualify through the championship points. So, so I I know that we talked a little bit about the eu championship points leaders in our last episode but would you like to shout out to our number one, a mind joke, number two, Pataman, number three, Colin, or any other EU trainers? Um, yeah, I do think those are basically who you would have expected up there. Like, unless you, people, people were joking about how the championship points have been invented for a mind joke because <laughs> he's like the most consistent EU battler, but. He's just he's just looking for this one breakout tournament. I'm sure he will get a regional title eventually, but uh, up until then, he just keeps on just stacking like uh, one cup, one challenge, and top cutted regional <laughs> upon upon mm-hmm. another. Um, yeah, and like Patoman, he's basically he's basically what Caleb wants to be in terms of basically always reaching the grand finals, <laughs> but he actually won one. Oh um, man! <laughs> I know, I know. Shade is being thrown. Shade is. Uh, being it's thrown. okay. A Potsman <laughs> deserved it. I, you know, I actually watched back the the Gdansk uh, finals because I have a a tracking sheet where I, I kind of take notes about all the finals matchups and I, I write down the teams and such. And I remember watching back Potsman's win and seeing just the emotion he had on stage. You know, he stood up. After after beating Tonton, he just was like pumping his fist. He was, you know, like <laughs> just shaking. He was so excited for it, and uh, it definitely a really good feeling. But hey, shade thrown, but that's okay. I mean, we're, we like to have fun on the show six. Absolutely. Um, and like people that I'm personally looking forward to, and I don't know if all of these will be at Liverpool. Um, Liverpool will be the tournament to close out uh, this January and mm-hmm. it will be the biggest EU regional to date actually. Uh, we've already surpassed um, last year's Liverpool uh, numbers by like about 15-ish and nice. there's still like more than two weeks to go so I could I could see us maybe even um, getting past 200 participants in a, reg- uh, in a regular regional tournament. Mm-hmm. which has not been accomplished yet as far as I know. Like, I think it has been done once in like a LATAM event, but 
Yeah. Um, not in Europe for sure. And I want to see innovation. I want to see spice. I want to see Pokemon that we might not have seen yet and that might seem riskier, but actually uh, rather safe into what currently makes up the core meta. And I think people who could deliver that are the Stone Collection, infamously um, <laughs> Samurai Revenge in London before winning the LCQ with, with uh, Samurai in, in London one year. Uh-huh. Um, Tonton, who is always good for some some spicier plays. Um, seeking. Seeking to, to the grand finals. And <laughs> that was the, the, the seeking is still like taking the spotlight, even though there was also Clefable and Hanaktabax on the team. Yeah, like, right. That's just imagine that in this current environment where everything's so so bulky and so safe. But uh-huh. yeah, like I, I wouldn't put it I wouldn't put it past him to just do it again. I think he tried out Whimsicott in the very first regional of um this this meta. So yeah, there's definitely some some fun picks that he trusts regularly mm-hmm. and i also kind of I, I want to see statistan try something creative something new because i i remember from last season there was a lot of mew play a lot of dance bars play yes. when both of these pokemon weren't really common and i i just i feel like we have some innovators in europe and i want to see more of them because i do think there's there's ways of of tackling this current um very very safe very bulky and like almost standardized meta that mm-hmm. um i feel like we could see in europe not to not to throw too much shade at americans again um <laughs> we went over this you guys uh, took the first three uh, spots at the last last year's world championship but mm-hmm. um i feel like when it comes to just going crazy the Euro- europeans are typically doing a good job I, yeah, I, I tend to agree. And there's always this question in my mind, if you were to airdrop Statistan into Portland, or if you were to, you know, to send yourself or, or an adequance uh, to Charlotte, you know, what would the teams look like? How, how would you perform? Because I do feel like it's almost like, um, I'm trying to think of how to describe it. It's almost like a different feel, different energy around these tournaments. Whereas Statistan, definitely a perfectionist, right? Running the Mew Dunsparce core at multiple regionals, trying to perfect it. Uh, I actually said this in, in one of my casts. I said, it's really difficult for for a, a trainer to to kind of shave off the last few percentage points towards playing a team perfectly. And Statistan was at you know, 90, 92, 94%. In, in my mind in terms of how well he was playing that team, but he just kept on hammering it, trying to get better and better. I always wonder if those trainers like that would find success or would they, like you said, run into that bulky wall, that that standardized NA wall of Pokemon that are just so <laughs> thick and so reliable and so obnoxious. I wonder if they would, uh, if they'd have a tough time. So I'm curious for everyone listening, what you think would go down. But I'm really excited for Charlotte coming up. Like we mentioned a couple of times, it's the third weekend of January and then Liverpool the fourth weekend of January. But I think we can get into a couple of predictions here, then talk about uh, in-game events to close this one out. So I, list. so I have a Pokemon in mind that I think is going to absolutely core break Charlotte and could be very good in Liverpool <laughs> as well. You want to hear what it is? Hit me with it. I'm telling you, it's got to be surfetched. It's got to be Surfetch, right? You've got Leaf Blade coverage, you've got Night Slash coverage as well. You have Counter, which is definitely, you know, obviously the best fast move in the game. If you look at mathematic, you know, mathematically speaking, Incinerate's probably better, but 
counters, much more flexible, more consistent, in my opinion. But Surfetch has so much coverage. You can beat Whiskash, Azumarill. You can beat Lickitung. You can beat Registeel. Uh, you do have a tougher matchup against Gligar, but I think there are some win conditions there if you have additional shields. But I think Surfetch could have a ton of play. Do you agree? Disagree? Um, I don't disagree that it could have a ton of play. But I I will say that I don't expect to see any surfage that Charlotte. Wow. Um, okay. Like like maybe maybe one or two, um, if somebody really likes surfage. Um, but I feel like for most people, it's just it's just not reliable enough. Just because you don't you don't really survive a hit if a Pokemon gets ahead on energy like even a body slam from a Lickitung a surfage doesn't take too well mm-hmm. and uh, don't get me started on like getting into a Gligar matchup I guess that goes for most fighters but a Polyrath at least has the option of harming something down and icy winning a Gligar and mm-hmm. even though Leaf Blade is good coverage in this meta I feel like the role of anti-water um like anti-whiskash especially um fighting type is still probably best suited for polyrath like don't get me wrong i I would love to see more surfage and i do think this role of oh grass type that isn't actually a grass type but does a lot of grass damage i feel like that is currently spread out between cresselia um lickitung and i was actually this is not my pick um but i was uh simming some matchups um that Gudra has into this Oh, I was looking at Gudra too. Because it is a power whip user. And yeah. I was like taking the the 15 most used day two Pokemon um or top 16 Pokemon um from Portland. Mm-hmm. And a good IV Gudra might or might not be 10 out of 15 in the one shield scenario. <laughs> so yeah. Like there's there's definitely merit to um just having that grass type coverage in a meta that is really really um water heavy currently with many uh many teams electing to run Polyrath, Azumarill, Whiskash in, in any combination. There's even like the odd lantern still around. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like Surfetch's stat product just I think it will it just will put many people off that go for those safer plays and mm. especially because the role of counter user is also so contested with polyrath which uh, with Yorks's defense and still a few metachamps and vigoroth so yeah. i feel like because it's so spread out um surfage will stay relegated to a spice pick but um grass type coverage is actually just the right uh the right cue for for my pick if you uh-huh. if you want to hear it because no, I do I, think... I, if it's not surfish, I don't want to hear it. I'm just yeah, kidding. okay, okay. Ahead, we'll, just, we'll just end the episode here. No, we don't want to hear it. Um, <laughs> no, I was actually. This is also going back to basically our last episode and um, the preparation before uh, uh, San Antonio, even because I do think there is a place for Obama Snow in this meta as the premier grass type. It is mm. a grass type that massively threatens Gligar and has positive matchups into um Whiskash obviously into Azumarill obviously um the shadow um version of Obama Snow wins the two shields against uh Charger Bug without even losing 50 percent of itself. Are you it using Wonder Ball or 
or icy wind. I'm sorry. I, I do prefer. Uh, that is actually a very good question and something I do want to distinguish between. Okay. I think if you uh, elect to run the non-shadow variant of Obama Snow, you do want the icy wind just for uh, longevity, just general utility, stay staying around longer and drawing out the matchups. Because Obama Snow is actually like. It's not bulky, bulky, but it has like vigorous-ish bulk, so it can stay on the field for for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I go for the shadow, I want to double down down on hyper offense, and I want those spammable weather balls that come out every few seconds and really put the pressure on my opponents, and also give me like just more speed, right? Like if I if I bait with a weather ball to then land an energy ball, that just that just really can put the opponent on the back back foot while mm. icy wind is a little more energy uh like energy expensive but mm. yeah i do think um like there is typically like one counter user like maybe a skarmory on each team like i think counter users and steals are the two um genres of of pokemon that you need to cover for Agreed. but as long as you do that Obama snow has a ton of play and typically finds between three and four positive matchups, plus maybe one or two neutral matchups on plenty of teams. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So Surfetch and Obama Snow, you heard it here first. If we do see those two Pokemon appear in Charlotte, you know <laughs> who to thank. I, I really would love to see somebody uh, pilot Surfetch really well. Uh, the last time I think it really saw a ton of success was back when Andrew Minaras used it at NAIC in 2022, if I'm not mistaken. But I have seen uh, GBLers like Pranov actually succeed with Surfetch uh, to a to a very high level. So Pranov, if you're headed to Charlotte, you know <laughs> you know what to bring. Uh, One shout out I do want to make because sure. I I remember from last year that Charlotte was actually um, a regional where quite a few members of the up and coming faction or. Uh, Battle Frontier team Brave Nerds um, mm-hmm. actually uh, wanted to throw their head in the ring and managed to compete at a very high level. And that faction's mascot is actually a Surfetched. So those are hey. just a bunch of leaderboarders who have Surfetched as their mascot. And for, for a few of them, I do think Charlotte is pretty local. So if some of them make it there, maybe we see a Surfetched or two. <laughs> maybe so remember last year we saw richie versus auburn in the grand finals it was shadow swampert and lantern versus alola ninetales if i'm not mistaken and that was a pretty fun series to watch but so why any final thoughts before we briefly mention off a couple of in-game events and then close out our first episode um i would say i've, I've probably thrown enough shade um advocated for enough spice just <laughs> just walk us through what niantic has to offer Oh, okay, understood. Well, the one event that I have in mind, I'm looking here at the Raging Battles event, which has quietly appeared on the calendar in January. It's from the 19th to the 24th. Very All quietly. three leagues. Yeah, it's it's very cryptic, right? All three leagues <laughs> available, four times Stardust Rewards. I don't exactly know what that will be, but I just want to say in general that this Go Battle League season is highly underrated, right? We've got a Great League Cup every single week of the entire season and when you have 2500 total battles to play so it feels like there's there's so much love for the great league right now there's a lot of positive shifts in terms of the meta right meta cham like you said meta cham hanging on for dear life in the top usage charts just that was not a sentence that i think i ever hear i thought it was going to be meta cham <laughs> forever right so niantic is 
moving things in the right direction as is play Pokemon in terms of the championship series. But I won't ask for an ELO update or anything like that. I just want to, I just want to ask you, Zwilis, uh, what team are you playing in, uh, in go battle league? And are you having success in either ultra or great league remix? Um, that is a very good question. Uh, I do think I I do have to say that I miss the open Great League a little bit because I do think that the current remix formats bans a lot of Pokemon that just got hit with uh, some some balance changes that made them irrelevant anyway. Mm-hmm. So just just give me back those those Azumarillos so I can target them with Magnezone. Um, <laughs> but other than that, I have actually uh, been ending my day-to-day with a 5-0 in the Open Ultra League. And I did run a team of uh, Shadow Ampharos, Obama Snow, so more more Obama Snow propaganda on this podcast. Uh, and um, can can we beep this out? But I did run Giratina Altered, so it was actually a matter of okay. Pokemon. Yeah, but... <laughs> we'll beep that out, don't worry. We'll do it in uh, uh, It was a strong team, and... Yeah, like I do think I do think that's that's quite viable because so many teams are ABA weak to electric still, and Ampharos lead really takes advantage of that. Gotcha. Well, I was seeing so many uh, Polyrath and Whiskash cores in Remix that I started running Gorgeist. So oh. I've got I've got Chargebug, Gorgeist, and Shadow Gligar <laughs> on my team right now. So uh, a future updates on that as we Gorgeist, as despite uh, despite the recent role at Community Day, I see. Yes, exactly. I, I fear no I fear no decidui, and I will not use decidui. It's too glassy, right? But uh, that being said, Zoilus, uh, a lot of fun discussing Portland. I'm really looking forward to Charlotte and Liverpool. Um, our plan so far is to do a podcast episode after each regional. So we're not going to get a weekly update unless there is a regional tournament. Uh, I think this fits best into our current work-life balance schedules, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And we can always offer up some high-level thoughts on what we see in terms of the meta, the gameplay, and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. Well, as well, it's been really fun. Any final shout-outs before we sign off of our first official episode of the Show 6 podcast? Um, shout out to Speediest Chief for doing this with me because uh, I, I did not expect to get approached for this, but I, I do love uh, the Play Pokemon Championship series and I hope the circuit continues to grow. I'm excited for the future. Exactly. Well, uh, our goal that, that we have set out with the podcast, as Wallace and I agreed, we want to create a, a 45 minute to one hour kind of summary of the regional, a high level breakdown of the gameplay, uh, get people excited make them feel involved in the championship series and hopefully grow our game into a larger and larger esport. But I think we're off to a great start. Zoilus. we're going to roll some outro music and I can't wait to talk to you after Charlotte when Surfetch wins it all. (laughs) (laughs) It does beat Obama snow in the head to head. I have to give it to dad. Okay. Okay. So bring your Obama snows and bring your Surfetch to counter them. Well, that being said, Zoilus, it's been fun. (laughs) Uh, I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Yes. Yes. Until then.